0: is a uh, uh Christian Baptist uh, periodical and uh <clears throat> we talked about why that was uh, uh why he put that out he put that out because uh, uh not because he wanted to <clears throat> team up with denominationalism but he he uh, put it out because he knew that we needed to be Christians in order to be Christians, you need to be baptized. Whether or not at that time he had an exact view on that, uh, not sure, but we know he came to the right understanding of it. <coughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to finish up a few things about Alexander Campbell, and then we're going to talk about some of the early pioneer restoration, uh, preachers that helped put forth the, uh, uh, helped uh, uh, the movement. And then what we'll do is we'll kind of bring that back around and we'll end at Cane Ridge where they came together and decided that they were going to put away denominationalism. So we're going to <clears throat> leave Alexander Campbell for a little while and we're basically going to be finished with him. We're going to talk about some uh uh restoration uh, preachers. and Then we're going to back up just a little bit at the point where they came together at Cane Ridge and and uh <clears throat> some of the things that were said and a little history of that we have a few things that we want to mention to finish up <coughs> excuse me with alexander uh but uh anyway we ended uh in 1823 when he had started in the spring of 1823 when he had started this christian baptist periodical and in over time in fact it was about 6 years that <coughs> he uh uh Put out this periodical, and then in 1830 or 1829, rather, he became, he became concerned with the name Christian Baptist. So as he continued to grow and, and to learn and to uh, uh, come to better understanding of biblical things, he uh, he became concerned that people would attach Christian Baptist to the movement, and it would just be another denomination. And so he decided <clears throat> pretty abruptly when he came to this understanding that he would end the paper and put the name out of existence. In fact, uh, <clears throat> we're not going to go into a big history about this, but uh, one of the things that Alexander Campbell did was he translated the New Testament from the Greek himself. And so he had a a translation of the New Testament. He called it the living oracles. And he took the word Baptist out of it. He took the word baptism out of it. <clears throat> he used the word immerser and immersion. And that was a big problem uh for the Baptist Association. They didn't appreciate that. And they particularly didn't appreciate it <clears throat> when their preachers studied the living oracles. Okay? And... uh having those words removed. At any rate, uh, he put to bed the ba- uh, Christian Baptist, but he wasn't through writing. His next periodical, which uh, I'd mentioned this a while back, Preston has, I think, every single copy, called The Millennial Harbinger. The Millennial Harbinger. Uh, that began to be uh, <clears throat> uh, produced on January the 4th, 1830. And so that was the first, uh, the first copy. Now the name was significant because Campbell did believe in the millennium. He hadn't come to, to the proper understanding. I don't know that he ever did come to the proper understanding of what the millennium was or is, but his view on it was not uh, a premillennialistic view. And what I'm hoping is that It didn't necessarily push any kind of uh, doctrine. It was simply a misunderstanding of what the the 1,000 years is. We're going to talk a little bit about it. At any rate, here was his view. His understanding of the millennium was that it was a period of time when the nations of the world, and this is his writing, the nations of the world are all to become the kingdoms of our king. They are all to submit to His government and to feel the benign and blissful influence of His scepter. Now that was in the second, uh, edition, the second edition printed. Now, has that happened? Of course it hasn't. Governments of the world are not bowing the knee to God, but He believed Christianity would eventually triumph, okay? Now, he had a misunderstanding of what was going to take place. My opinion is that that misunderstanding would not cause Alexander Campbell to lose his soul. I don't know that that's a doctrinal thing where he's going to be lost for that. He's not pushing an earthly reign. He's just simply misunderstanding uh what the, the millennium is. He didn't recognize necessarily that we are in the millennium. Okay? He's still looking for it to come. Now, that's just my opinion, and I'm hoping that, uh <clears throat> you know, there, we, we can misunderstand a whole lot of things, you know, that may not be doctrinal in nature, right? If we misunderstand the plan of salvation, we're in trouble. If we misunderstand worship, we're in trouble. If we misunderstand fellowship, we're in trouble. If we misunderstand organization, we're in trouble. Uh, if we're adding some things like the Missionary Society, which came along <clears throat> after this, you know, we can't support things like that. But a misunderstanding of exactly what the last days are, as long as it's not pushing this premillennialist doctrine that Christ's going to reign on earth, <clears throat> I'm hoping that uh, God's grace is sufficient for Him and that uh, that's not necessarily a huge issue. It's incorrect. Okay, it's incorrect. And it could maybe lead to something else, and that's dangerous in itself, uh, much like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Uh, Brother Gus Nichols said that the Holy Spirit literally indwells us. Well, we know the Holy Spirit indwells us. And I think Brother Woods put it uh, <clears throat> about as well as you can put it. He says, not a matter of if. We know He indwells you. It's a matter of how. And so, Brother Gus Nichols said, he's in you literally. Well, you know, I think that's dangerous. And I think it's led to a lot of things, but as far as Gus Nichols was concerned, doesn't do anything for you. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't interact with you in any way. He's not leading you in any way whatsoever. No kind of a direct action upon you. And if someone holds that position, well, I think that's that's their business to hold that as long as it doesn't go beyond that. So I don't think Brother Gus Nichols... Uh, was teaching error in the sense that uh the Holy Spirit's doing something for you. he was just simply believing uh that what uh Paul and other writers stated was a literal thing now I don't believe for a second it' uh, the the Holy Spirit indwells us literally. I believe he indwells us through the word okay and so I think this is similar at least in my thinking right now of what Alexander Campbell was talking about now. He also believed this, and he stated this <clears throat> in the very first edition. He said the sectarian establishments could not admit of this spread and triumph of Christianity. Okay? So he's still talking about for the millennium to be ushered in, uh, the governments <clears throat> are going to have to come together, they're going to have to uh, bow the knee to God, and all the sectarian established organizations... They're gonna to have to uh do that, but they won't admit it. They don't wanna see the rise of Christianity, right? And so uh, and and you know, sectarian organizations don't want to do that. How many humanists do you know that uh want to uh praise Christianity for the good things, even if you're not a believer, of the good things it's brought to the world. You know, because of Christianity slavery is no longer with us in in, in most of the world, right? And so that's a positive. But humanists aren't going to, you know, they're not going to uh, uh praise Christianity. They're going to call that just the evolution of people, who we are. Okay? So he, w- he was misunderstanding that. But he believed the only way for us to have the millennium was to restore the ancient order. Right? And in addition, to destroy sectarianism in all its forms. <clears throat> well... You know, he's right in the sense that we need to restore the ancient order and we need to continually restore the Lord's church in places where it's been perverted. That doesn't have anything to do with ushering in the millennium. How do we know that? Well, when uh, Peter preached uh, on the Pentecost, he said this is exactly what Joel talked about Joel 2. We're in the last days. If the last days are what they claim to be the last days, how many days are after that following christ's return zero right we're not we don't have any thousand years on the earth. The last days are just exactly what they say. If we're in time living apart from eternity and that those days end well then now we're in eternity and um of course, that's a big misunderstanding of uh, uh, Revelation chapter 20, really, isn't it? big misunderstanding of Revelation chapter 20. And so, <clears throat> by the fact that none of these things happened, uh, demonstrates that he was, in fact, wrong on the idea of what the millennium is. Any comments or questions, Brother Charles? Oh, he's off. No, he, he was, he, he, uh, he was on his own. You know, he was on his own on this. Uh, you know, and that's one thing we need to consider. If I come up with an idea and I'm the only one that espouses that idea, brethren, that might be a red flag. You know what I mean? That might be a red flag because if the apostles didn't teach it, Jesus didn't teach it. You know, that's what I told a brother one time when he said, you can't pray for anything physical. We can't pray for Brother Sam and his upcoming surgery. He said, you're asking for a miracle. I said, well, you misunderstand providence. Uh, I said, you know, uh, what ought to be a red flag is it took 2,000 years, the apostles and, and then you to figure this thing out. You know, that ought to be a red flag. And so to my knowledge no one else held it now I'm sure some of the people he influenced probably held that view okay but that wasn't a highly regarded view in fact it's a it's a misunderstanding of what the millennium is so he absolutely was <clears throat> missing the clear teaching of the bible and uh uh but again where was he coming from he was coming from a thousand-year reign on earth, right? So that's a pretty good move in the right direction, understanding that the millennium is, or at least in his mind, would happen in this life, of which it is, right? We're in the thousand-year reign right now, if we're looking at Revelation chapter 20. Good comment. Anything else? Any the comments? <clears throat> well... I think we might want to look at this for just a moment, and you know, not to get too sidetracked, but since we're talking about this thousand year reign, just like Charles said, <clears throat> you don't see any denominations that I'm aware of espousing what Campbell espoused. Okay? So how do we answer this? How do we answer a denominational <clears throat> believer, or member, when they began to talk about the thousand-year reign. And they want to go over to uh, Revelation 20, and, and you know, the, Satan was bound for a thousand years. You know, how, how do we need to be able to talk? And, uh, and we don't need to talk to someone and spend 25 days. You know, we ought to be able to simply state a few things about the Revelation to move us beyond <clears throat> what they're saying. Uh, first of all, and we're not, again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we, we studied the Revelation not too awfully long ago. How was the, how is the message of the Revelation imparted to the reader? Signs, symbols, figures, uh, you know, illustrating, uh, heavenly ideals in a, in a way we can understand, right? A thousand years. We understand a year. You know, people understand decades and, and centuries, right? We understand time because we live in time. And so, <clears throat> for God to be able to get across uh, what He wants us to understand in our limited ability, He needs to, to state it in terms we can comprehend. Now, Alexander Campbell was right. It's a period of time, right? A period of time. Not a literal one thousand years. You know, we're not going to go into the numerology and the use of numbers, but the number ten means just a, you know, can be a period of time or a whole period of time. Okay? Whatever God sets forth. <clears throat> and so, you multiply it until you get a thousand, that's still a multiple of ten, but it's just a greater period of time, right? When, uh, uh, we read in the Old Testament or we read in Revelation and other places, you'll be, uh, you know, you're going to be afflicted or you're going to be persecuted for ten days. Well, you know, a uh, hundred times ten, right? It's a, a thousand. And so that's a lot longer period of time. And so I think that's one, you know, that's about the only evidence I've ever received from the Bible <clears throat> that that indicates when time's going to be over. Time's going to be over after a significant period of time. And it's already been a significant period of time, hasn't it? It's been 2,000 years. And so, uh, uh we need to keep that in mind. <clears throat> and so when we, when we talk to people, we need to be able to talk about the things that, that, uh, uh, Jesus tried to get across to us in the Revelation. When, uh, talks about binding the serpent and putting him in the pit. What, what happens when you bind somebody? they're very limited, right? You limit what they can do, you put someone in prison, wh- what are we basically we're doing? We're separating them from society and limiting what they can do, right? <clears throat> and so that's what God did. Has Satan been destroyed? Has he been thrown into uh the devil's hell for all eternity? Well, not yet. Not yet he hasn't. So what's he doing during this period of time? Where is he? He's among us, isn't he? He's among us. Where he's at right now? I don't know. But he's in some congregation somewhere, I'm sure, trying to get them to go off on the deep end. Okay? So, when we look at this idea of Satan being bound, and and Campbell didn't really get this. He is being limited, right? Now, have have we ever seen God limit Satan in other ways throughout the Bible? Job, right? Uh Okay, uh, have you thought, have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, but you've built this hedge around him. We'll go take his stuff away from him. But what can't you do? Don't touch his body. Right? Okay, comes back. <clears throat> didn't happen. Have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, but you, you still got this hedge. We'll touch his body, but you can't take his life. So he's limiting him, right? <clears throat> when we put a dog on a chain or a leash, what are we doing? We're limiting what they can do. So God has limited Satan in how he can interact. Now, even at the time he was interacting with Job, he could do some things to Job, couldn't he? Well, that was during the time of the miraculous. So <clears throat> he's limited him now in that the only way... What's the only way he can can uh, cause us problems? Influence. Now, he's good at influence, isn't he? He's good at Influence. Turn on the TV, pick up a magazine, uh, watch anything. You look around the world. He has influenced the world, right? I'm 49. When I was growing up, you didn't hear about anybody being a homosexual. And I think it was in the 80s, <clears throat> middle 80s, that Rock Hudson came out of the closet. And then it was just like the floodgates opened, wasn't it? Influence. Now, if you don't support it, you're a hater, Right? So the world's being influenced. But He can't make us do anything, can He? That's what Jesus talked about. He said, no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. But can you walk out of it? Sure you can. Can you turn your back on Jesus? You know, you hear all these uh, Calvinistic preachers talk about you can't lose your salvation. You can't turn your back on Jesus. Well, They turned their backs on Him when He was alive. Did you remember when He asked the apostles, Are you going to leave Me too? Peter said, Where will we go? We're not going to leave you. If if someone could leave Jesus when He was in the form of a person, and He was doing the things He was doing, and you could see it by sight, what makes someone think that you couldn't turn your back on Him? It's been 2,000 years and no one has seen Him. We walk by faith, not by sight. Why couldn't we turn our backs on him now? See, it doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. And so, Satan has been limited. Alexander Campbell missed it, okay? He missed Joel chapter 2. He didn't put together Isaiah 2, Joel 2, Acts 2, Daniel 2, right? He didn't put that together. But again, you know, I personally don't want to be too hard on him. I disagree with him. I think obviously that can, that can turn into something just like, uh, uh, Brother Nichols' position on the Holy Spirit. It's led to things that now you've got, you've got, uh, uh, once faithful preachers like Mac Deaver claiming to baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, if the Spirit is in you, literally, that's where it has to lead to, right? And over time, and I don't know if Brother Deaver will do it, But someone's going to claim to be able to work miracles. Of course, they're doing it in the denominations already. And so, Brother Campbell missed it, but, uh, I don't think that his view is necessarily something's going to cost him his soul. Any comments? That's just my opinion, Brother Joe. Absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's how he's limited now. That's how we know we're in the thousand year because Satan's been bound. He's been limited. He can't touch us directly. He can't, uh, because if he was able to do this, and I, I've had talks with, with denominational preachers, if, if he is not limited right now, uh, you know, we have no way of uh, getting rid of things like demons. Or whatever, because the miraculous ended first. First Corinthians thirteen, it's over, right? We don't have access to to those things now, and so uh, that's exactly right. He's limited; he can't, uh, he just can't do anything to us physically. He can't make us do anything, right? Uh, during the time of Christ, the New Testament, a demon could uh, <clears throat> uh, inhabit someone's body, and make them do things. You remember the the. Uh, uh, The young boy would throw himself in the fire. You know, he was caused to do things. What about the Gadarene? You know, had legion, a thousand demons in him. We are legion. And he would break chains and he's running around and he's doing crazy things. And then when Jesus cast him out, he came back to himself. He was normal, right? And so that's exactly right. So he's limited. We ought to take comfort in that. Well, it is a joke. Exorcism. <clears throat> you know, it's just ridiculous. Uh, you know, I don't know, uh, how many of us ever read about holy water in the, in the New Testament? Never read about any holy water. That's one way they use exorcism, right? Throw holy water on someone and the, the, the demon inside them who's possessed that person, you know, can't, can't tolerate it. <clears throat> I don't read about holy water. Okay, the only water I read about in the, New Testament is that kind that you're immersed in, the kind that comes from the sky, that feeds your crops, and the kind you drink. Right? And so that's right. A lot of these things are, are, are just ridiculous. <clears throat> Any other comments? Well, did you have something, Kathy? During this time, when uh, Brother Campbell had decided he's going to go with the Millennial Harbinger, uh, little by little the advocates of restoration found themselves getting farther and farther and farther away uh, from the Baptist ranks. Okay, now remember, uh, that's who Campbell kind of aligned himself with, you know, the Redstone uh, Association and then the Mahoney Association. And so <clears throat> they're getting to the point now where they're coming to some better understanding. Okay, they're getting farther and farther away. Uh, now, in Kentucky at this time, a little bit before this, this kind of set us up for uh, <clears throat> moving into some uh, uh, other restoration preachers. In, in uh, Kentucky, uh, the North District Association found a man who was known as Elder John Smith guilty of preaching Campbellism. Now, we know who John Smith is. We don't know him necessarily by John Smith. We know him as Raccoon John Smith, right? <clears throat> now at that meeting in 1827, a couple of years before uh, the Millennial Harbinger came out or a couple of years before the Baptist Christian ended, he was charged with using that New Testament that Alexander Campbell had translated, the Living Oracles. He was charged with When he baptized someone, he didn't say, I baptize you in the name. He said, I immerse you in the name. And now here's something that really irritated him. When it came time to take the Lord's Supper, he passed that around, let everybody break their own piece off. Instead of the preacher standing up here breaking it off. That's coming directly from, uh, uh, Catholicism. Okay? Directly from Catholicism. And so, they kind of had a misunderstanding. I think Raccoon John Smith had a little misunderstanding. Now, is it wrong to uh pass a, a cracker and let everybody break their own piece? Well, no, we've done it for years. But is there anything wrong with doing it like we've been doing it for, for a good while now? You got all those little separate pieces in there and you just picked one up? Anything wrong with that? In fact, I prefer that. I prefer that. You know, now you're getting a piece of uh You're getting a cracker I hadn't handled all over, you know, after I've shaken everybody's hands. You know, people sick, <coughs> coughing, and, you know, all, all kinds of things. You know, uh, touching a door handle. You know there are people in the world that go to the bathroom, don't wash your hands, then they touch a door handle. You go out, you know, and so, now I like that, I like that. But, see, John Smith kind of missed that just a little bit. Nothing wrong with with him doing that. But I think he felt like you needed to do that because uh, Jesus broke the loaf. But if we read in the accounts of the institution of the Lord's Supper, He broke the loaves. He was doing it more like what the, the other people were doing. He broke the loaves and He passed it out. And then we get on this idea of drinking from one cup. And if you read, and Cameron didn't know this, and I normally have to get my information from Cameron, but the Lord separated... What was in that cup and pass that to the disciples as well? They weren't drinking out of one cup. I don't ever hear that talked about a whole lot when we're talking about anti and the one cup movement and things like that. But anyway, those were the, uh, the charges, uh, levied against him. Okay, now as they levied this against him, they were at this association meeting, uh, he didn't wait for, uh, <clears throat> to be singled out, he just stood up and he said, I plead guilty to all of it. I plead guilty. I'm your guy, right? So they debated the matter for a little while and they decided they were going to table it till the next year. Well, here's the thing. Raccoon John Smith was a beloved man. People loved him. And uh, in 1830, or uh, following that, We'll get into this a little later. They uh, uh, People were on his side, and so they just kind of let it go. Well, in 1830, by the time that Campbell had started producing the Millennial Harbinger, uh, the association in that area of which uh, Campbell was a member and a lot of those different associations down in uh, Kentucky, they began to dissolve why why do you think that happened because of the preaching of the gospel it wasn't because of alexander campbell It wasn't because of barton stone it wasn't because of raccoon john smith or Creeth or, or or ben franklin or, or you know all those many people who were helping this movement push forward it was because they preached the gospel what happens when you preach the gospel People obey the gospel. Preaching the gospel makes Christians. And when Christians come together and they start looking at their actions and the things they're doing, they came to an understanding uh, that uh, they're doing things wrong. Now, there was always a question kind of in the back of everybody's mind that they never asked. That, that question finally was asked, and that was this. Do we even have any biblical authority to have these associations and to meet and to vote and to do things of that nature? That had been going on for a while. A lot of people had that mindset, but they were not simply uh asking that question. And so after some debate in which no one was supporting this association or uh, uh, speaking out against this question, the the association dissolved, and now we see the movement really catching gear and moving forward, and people coming out of the light or the darkness even quicker and seeing some things that maybe they didn't see 15 or 20 years ago. You know, Alexander Campbell... Martin W. Stone, all these men, they've been on the scene for, you know, many, many years, but they're still misunderstanding some stuff. But one of the main things they were misunderstanding, they're still trying to make associations, pass laws, and, and implement rules. Where are the rules found? In the Bible. Any comments, questions? All right, well, let's start on, Yeah. I understand what you're saying. <clears throat> well, and 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 we're not going to go into this necessarily, but when all this began to happen and they decided they were going to get destroy all these associations, Alexander Campbell wasn't necessarily for it, okay? He wanted still Christians to come together, but he didn't want them to come together in the sense of what had been happening. He wanted them to come together, be able to preach, be able to teach, ask questions, learn from those who maybe had figured it out, and to edify and exhort one another. Okay? Now the problem with Alexander Campbell pushing that was eventually you had another association show up, cause a whole lot of problems in the church during the time of McGarvey, was that it was the Missionary Society. Okay? <clears throat> and, and, Campbell didn't necessarily have an issue with organizations like that doing the work the church was to do, okay? Now, we have to understand, uh, uh, what, when we talk about certain institutions doing things, we got to be very careful in wh- what kind of understanding we come to. Why is the missionary society not scriptural? Well, you set up an organization, you have a hierarchy in that organization, <clears throat> and they are in charge of spreading the gospel. How's that different from a school of preaching? We support Tri-C School of Preaching. We support several of their instructors. We've, we've got at least three students on the on our support list right now. How's that different? See, those are questions we need to ask. I went over to... What was it, last year I was over in North Carolina, and my good friend over there who uh, held a meeting here for us, he was uh, trying to encourage me to support the uh, Church of Christ, uh, what's the name of it, a Disaster Relief Organization. I said, man, that's a missionary society. He said, oh boy, he got upset. He said, it's not, it's one man and two. Well, you go and you look about, you look him up. They got a hierarchy of people. They decide. Why is that a problem? Why is that a problem with the missionary society and things like that? Uh, who gets the glory and honor in that? The society. Well, thank God for the missionary society. How about thank God for God and for the gospel. And churches go out. And that doesn't mean we can't support preachers. They're going out and they're preaching. What happens when you preach the gospel? You create Christians and you give God the glory. What happens when Tri-City School of Preaching goes out? Uh, Sends their students out into the world and they preach the gospel. And, and glory goes to God. And we support that effort. It's not a missionary society. It's not a uh, uh, disaster relief society. It's not any of those things. Okay? But we have to be careful... Not to go overboard. That's where anti comes in. You know, uh, non-cooperation. Non-institutional. Well, we're non-institutional in a sense. We don't want the church to be institutionalized. But, <clears throat> when they say non-institutional, they're talking about orphans' homes. Right? Can't have an orphans' home. Well, I wonder how many orphans are you taking into your home? We're supposed to take care of orphans. You're not, you're not, uh, practicing true religion. You're not taking orphans into your home. You're not helping widows. So, you know, what do we do? Well, they've gone too far. They've gone too far. Orphans home is not the church. Okay. But it is a good work of usually a church that oversees that work. Okay. And that's, and that's, uh, one of the main problems with the missionary society and things like that. No one had any oversight over them. Okay. No one has any oversight on the, uh, Disaster relief. they just out there doing their own thing, right? Well, you know, I appreciate what they're wanting to do, but, you know, I don't know that they're doing things the way they ought to be doing them. And so, you know, schools of preaching, they're overseen by congregations, right? Now, we're not talking about colleges, okay? We're not talking about colleges that even allow you to study the Bible. You can get a a degree at Freed Hardeman, right? And, uh... But that, that's a, that's just a college that has an association with churches of Christ. Of course you, see, you don't see that very often today, even when they claim that they're not very close. Any comments, questions? All right, well, let's move into some <clears throat> pioneer preachers and and we'll take about five minutes here, <clears throat> introduce ourselves to Raccoon John Smith. and what we're going to do is, is really is kind of, uh, and as we study history, we need to enjoy that history. And this teaches us a little something about Raccoon John Smith, how he came uh, to have his moniker, okay? He was given this nickname, Raccoon, after having preached a sermon uh, at the Tates Creek Baptist Association at Crab Orchard, Kentucky, around 1815. Uh, a great audience had come together, and Raccoon John Smith, I don't know, I showed a picture, I don't know if any of you have seen too many pictures of Raccoon John Smith, he kind of reminds me of an unmade bed, you know. And so he got up in the pulpit and, and he was, uh, his unkempt appearance, everybody says just shook their head. He's got up to leave. They weren't going to, you know, they weren't going to sit there. And, you know, he didn't, in their opinion, didn't offer him very much. So he called out really loud to them. He said, stay, friends, and hear what the great Augustine said. They stopped for a minute. He kind of grabbed their attention. What's this guy, you know, he... He doesn't appear to be educated at all, and he looks like he just uh, crawled out from under the wagon, and, you know, from sleeping on the ground all night, but it kind of grabbed their attention. Kind of gives you, you know, sometimes you need a good illustration to kind of get people's attention. So they stopped and listened. <clears throat> he said, Augustine wished to see uh, three things before he died. He wanted to uh, uh, see Rome and her glory and her purity. He wanted to see uh, Paul on Mars Hill, and he wanted to see the Christ in the flesh. So a few sat down. Okay, he kind of grabbed their attention a little bit. A few sat down. Most of them smiled, and they began to leave again. And so he cried out, and he said, Will you not stay and hear what the great Cato said? And so uh, they turned around. Some of them did, and uh, they sat down, almost as if they were willing to be amused at what he was saying. He said, Cato repented of three things before he died. He said, first, he repented of ever having spent an idle day. <clears throat> Second, he repented of ever taking a journey by sea when he could have taken it by land. He said, in the, in the third thing he repented of was ever telling the secrets of his bosom to a woman. So that kind of grabbed their attention. People continued uh, uh, to kind of come back in and, Crowd began to stand around, and look, but he noticed out in the distance there were still some some people standing around there. And uh, but uh, by this time, some people began to recognize him. They didn't recognize him when he first got up there, and they said, "Well, that's John Smith." And so, as he looked out, see these people standing around, and he said, "Friends, he said, uh, come and hear what the great Thales thanked the gods for." So, uh uh one person stood up and said, well, let's go in and hear what he's got to say. Maybe there's more to him than what we supposed in the beginning. <clears throat> he said, Thales thanked God for three things. First, that he was endowed with reason and was not a brute. Secondly, that he was Greek and not a barbarian. And third, he said that he was man and not born a woman. Man, there are a bunch of chauvinists over there, aren't they? But that grabbed everybody's attention. And then he said, now I know that you all are wanting to know who I am. Who is this man? And so then here's how he described himself. He said, I am John Smith from Stockton's Valley. In more recent years, I've lived in Wayne among the rocks and hills of the Cumberland. Down there, he said, saltpeter caves abound and raccoons make their homes. On that wild frontier, we never had good schools nor many books. Consequently, I stand before you today, a man without an education. Well, someone heard that. Went to the pioneer preacher named James uh, Creeth Sr., begged him to come to listen to uh, uh, Smith. He said, this fella that wears the striped coat said he was raised among the coons. He said, come here and preach. His name is Smith, reared among the coons, he said, of Stockton Valley and Wayne County. And soon after that, he acquired his name, Raccoon John Smith, and it stuck with him for the rest of his life. Maybe there's something to a good illustration. I don't know that that's the right one, but it worked for him. All right, we'll pick up here next time. Thank you so much.